The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Chapter 40 begins with Gyrios's parable of the trolls. Next, after a couple of days travel, the party arrives at a fork in the road. Here, a neglected path heads west towards Sourtongue's bog. There's an increased sense of urgency as, with each passing hour, Valiador's time continues to run out. The decision is made. They will risk the bog in the hope of reaching Valiador in time. Things get even more tense once they reach the dangerous place, but that tension is finally broken when Sourtongue herself, the deranged mistress of the swamp, attacks them. While the troll does not surprise the party, she does prevent Gyrios from casting his new spell of Bless. A brief and brutal battle ensues in which Harl, Eredin, and Norum are all injured. In the end, a series of lucky attack rolls leads to the defeat of Sourtongue. It would be unfair not to mention Umura and her spell of Light, which successfully blinded the troll at the beginning of combat. If not for that, things would have gone very differently, I'm sure. Before leaving the swamp, and continuing on to Knob's Creek, they burn the troll's body. Chapter 41 Part 1 Day 51 Night Party status Norum 10 out of 16 hit points Gyrios has cast Cure Light Wounds and restored three of his hit points. Harl, 20 of 21. Eridine, 9 of 14. Gyrios, 27 of 27. Umura, 18 of 18. Spells available. Umura has memorized Knock and Levitate. Gyrios has prayed for Bless. Norim's wife, Massey, and his two children, Mason and Katya, had been waiting up when they arrived. There was a fourth Heflin, too. He was introduced as Corfigan Puttifoot, the community's elder and healer. A pair of empty teapots, cups, and a large plate strewn with crumbs seemed to indicate that they had all been waiting for some time. Where is he? Where is Valiador? Harl was looking around the cottage desperately. Massey now wrung her hands and bowed her head. I'm sorry. He passed on yesterday. 
then we are too late, said Gyrios. The cleric's head almost touched the ceiling here. In his hand was the now useless vial of Mithridaticum elixir. When they had arrived, Massey had sprung up from her seat and raced to embrace Norum, but stopped short. She saw that he had been wounded, and old Corfigan was already on his feet. Brief introductions had been made while the healer peeled off Norm's jerkin and applied a bandage. The doctor talked as he worked. We did all we could. I was able to prolong the inevitable, but deadly dappling, well, I'm afraid there's no remedy once it's tainted the blood. The healer inspected his work and, satisfied, allowed Massey to embrace her husband. Norm winced in pain but accepted it stoically. The pretty Heflin wiped away a tear as she spoke. We thought about keeping the... The body until you arrived. But. But it scared the children, you see. So we decided it would be best to. Harl's eyebrows shot up, but he said nothing. Corfigan picked up his black hat from a side table and fitted it over his gray locks. We don't know your ways, I'm afraid. So we returned him to the earth in our own way. A grave on the hillside with flowers. I hope we've done right by you. And now it is late and I must go. Norim, I will return tomorrow to check on your wound. Corfigan excused himself and, stepping through the front door, disappeared into the night air. He's right. It's getting late. Mason, catch ya. Norim pointed off towards what must have been their bedroom. The children felt equally excited curious and fearful towards this new dwarf and the human strangers, but after a time, they reluctantly moped off to their beds. A new pot of tea was set to steeping, and a new plate of biscuits was fetched. Meanwhile, the visitors tried to find a spot on the floor where they could sit without accidentally knocking over the furniture. Oh, Harl, I'm so sorry. What shall we do now? asked Umura. The dwarf looked miserable. Poison is a terrible way to die, especially for a dwarf. We are naturally resistant to toxins, so I suppose he thought it was worth the risk. He must have been starving to death. Only after everyone was settled and had a warm cup in their hands did Massey produce a letter from a chest of drawers. She looked at it sadly and handed it to Harl. Please forgive my handwriting. He spoke in fits and starts, and it was hard to keep up. To Harl Stonecarver. May it please Gruenmog, if we should not meet again in this life, that this letter should one day find you. Harl, if you are reading this, the poison has claimed me. Fear not for my soul, for to die this way, in the care of these fine and generous Heflins, and be able to dictate my last words is far better than to die alone on the mountainside. Harl. Do not return to Dwervar, unless you have an army at your back. A shadow has fallen across the High Forge, and our friends and brothers are no more. More than anything, I want you to avenge my boy, my poor, sweet Anelian. Alas, I will not, for there is something greater that I must ask of you. Barak Ironskin has found Blacknail's vault. He must not get the horn. 
Harl, you cannot allow this to happen. Barok found something in the riddle and the poem. I know not what he saw, only that he bragged of the discovery. He claimed that the poem was not what it seemed, and that there was a third hidden riddle. I would have thought him mad. <clears throat> Perhaps he is, <clears throat> yet I believe him. Stop him, young stonecarver. Find a way. If you do not, well, I fear the Grey Halls are not large enough to house all the spirits that will come. I will see you again, my friend. My Lancelia. But I pray not too soon. Grunmog be with you. Valiador. I was thinking that I really should not take it for granted that a person such as Norum would be happy with his decision to have helped the party. After all, he risked his life and almost lost it for a group of complete strangers. Does he feel that doing a good deed is its own reward? I'm going to roll on the reaction table to find out. I'll apply a minus one penalty for the injury that he received at the hands of Sourtone. It's true that Gyrios healed him afterwards, but as it happened, not by very much. Norm is still wearing wounds, and he's not going to be feeling very good, at least not physically. Harl's charisma is a 14, however, so his plus one bonus will negate the penalty and we end up with a straight roll of 2d6. Here's the roll. I got an 8. That's favorable, though not extremely so. Norm invites the party to spend the night at his home before they move on in the morning. Gyrios gets up before dawn, as always, and having caught an exchange of glances between Norm and his wife the previous evening, guesses that the Heflin has not asked for compensation out of politeness. Gyrios hides 50 gold pieces in Massey's teapot before they leave. The party declines breakfast, but accepts a half a loaf of bread to take with them. Once again, there's a sense of urgency, only this time they're racing back to Thangar, and the stakes are much more ambiguous. By afternoon, they've reached the swamp. Given that Sourtongue has been destroyed, the PCs reason that they can still save a day's travel by heading back this way, and having crossed it once, they hope that they'll not need the Heflin's help to do so again. I wonder, will the party face any encounters on the way back? There's only one way to find out. I may as well roll for weather while I'm at it. Weather first. A five. Not a very nice day for the summertime. Of course, in the swamp, it's always humid and dark. Wandering encounters. <laughs> a six. Well, I wasn't prepared for this, and I don't even have a table handy. Looks like I'll need to make one. Whatever I come up with, I'll post the results on the blog after this episode is released. Okay, I've gone away, made a table, and come back. As with all my tables, the one I just made consists mostly of the kind of monsters that would be native to the terrain, but I've thrown in a few special encounters, too. In terms of danger, they range from troublesome to lethal. It's also possible, if the party is extremely lucky, that they will benefit from the encounter. I'll be rolling a d12 for this table. Here goes nothing. I got a 4. Let's see. Oh boy. Hey gang, do you like role-playing games? Is D&D more than just an acronym for you? How about storytelling, card games, books, and other, air quotes, nerdy stuff? Then my friends, we have a show for you. Hi, my name is Eric. And I'm Matt. And we host a show called The Goblin's Corner. 
at TTRPG, RPG, D&D, DM slash GM podcast dedicated to you, our VIP. A podcast for the role player with the discerning palette. Learn how to run a game. Or even what D&D or an RPG is. Whether you're a beginner or you've been playing this longer than we have. You can learn about storytelling, character development, running a campaign or a short game session, or just some useless stuff. We certainly excel at that. Come check us out at goblinscorner.com or you can find us everywhere you listen to podcasts. The Goblin's Corner. That's how we roll. 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 Chapter 41, Part 2, Day 52, Afternoon. Party Status Harl is now at maximum hit points after gaining a point of natural healing. Eredin is at 14 out of 14, having been fully healed by Gyrios in the morning with a Cure Light Wounds prayer. Gyrios, 27 of 27. Umura, 18 of 18. Spells available. Umura has memorized Shield, Charm Person, Knock, and Levitate. Gyrios has prayed for Cure Light Wounds and Bless. Because they had gotten an early start, by late morning, the party had reached the outer edges of the swamp. Here, the terrain changed quickly. The ground was spongy at first and then became slippery with slime and mud as they tried to retrace their steps and penetrate further in. The air grew thick and humid, and the overcast sky seemed to darken. Knowing that Sourtongue had been slain was of small comfort. The place seemed alive with menace. To take their minds off their surroundings, Gyrios asked Harl about the riddle and the poem described in Valiador's letter. Harl had read it aloud to his companions earlier that morning as they walked, but he had become so solemn afterwards that nobody had pressed for further details. Now, several hours later, Gyrios did ask, The riddle Valiador wrote of, do you know it? Perhaps it is just the kind of thing to take our minds off of, uh... The cleric waved his hand at their gloomy surroundings. Harl took so long to answer that Gyrios wondered if the dwarf had even heard him, but eventually he replied, Every son and daughter of the mountain knows the riddle, Gyrios, and the poem too. They are the kind of things children are made to memorize in their lessons. Barak Ironskin saw something more in them, or so it would seem according to Valiador's letter, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> Harl grunted in reply. My word! It was Umura. Look at that! Ahead of them, half submerged in the swamp waters and sticking straight up, pillar-like, was the blackened body of Sourtongue. Every visible part of her had been consumed by the fire. She had become a grotesque obelisk, marking the middle of her own bog. Mazagar, defend us. Even in death, she is fearsome to behold. The priest was right. The statue of charred flesh still retained enough of its former shape to make their heartbeats quicken. Let's move past it and get out of this place, Gyrios continued. No one argued, and one by one they filed past. Eridine, then Gyrios, then Harl, and finally Umura. I feel better with that thing behind us, breathed Umura, in a whisper, once they had walked for another hour. Eridine, 
You've led us in the right direction so far. Are you certain you know the rest of the way? Up ahead, the little rogue shrugged her slim shoulders without turning around. Gyrios looked back at Harl, who struggled to keep up. Let's hear this riddle and this poem, hmm? It might be childish to you, but we have never heard it before, and Valiador did seem to think it was important. Blacknail's riddle and poem are indeed both well known to all the dwarves of Merith. Their common knowledge, and something of an old chestnut as topics for discussion go. Children are taught their letters by making copies of the riddle, and adolescents learn the basics of sophistry and rhetoric by debating the meaning of the poem. Although they are of course written in Dwarvish, here I will present them in our language so their simple elegance can be appreciated. I hope this does not interfere with your suspension of disbelief. If it does, perhaps it will help to imagine that Harl translates them a little more roughly. Very well, muttered Harl. He swatted a mosquito on the back of his neck and checked his palm to see if he had killed it. Though you might well find yourself disappointed. The riddle goes thusly. I can dance, but cannot walk. Despite my tongue, I cannot talk. Umura chuckled, having solved it instantly. Gyrios removed his helmet, scratched his bald head, and replaced the metal cap. Hmm, yes, that is interesting. The first part you said was, I can dance but cannot walk, is that right? Yes, very good, replied Harl, offering Umura a rare conspiratorial grin. He was enjoying this, after all. And what was the second part again? Have you forgotten so quickly? Harl teased, chuckling. No, no, I remember. I can dance but cannot walk. Despite my tongue, I cannot talk. Yes, yes, that's right, very good, Harl confirmed. Let's see. Gyrios wrinkled his nose. He furrowed his brow and pursed his lips. Oh, how clever. I've got it. But Gyrios did not get the chance to announce his solution, because just ahead of him there was a strangled cry as Eredin fell. He tried to rush forward to help her, but found that he could not move. At least, not in that direction. He was sinking. Fast. In quicksand. Gyrios, get out of there. In moments, he was up to his chest. I can't see her. Ahead. Eredin had already almost, completely, disappeared. Dungeons are well known for their deadly spiked pits and magical, explosive runes, but they're not the only places where PCs may encounter deadly traps. No, the invisible hazards that lie in wait for the unwary are not all man-made. Nature has made them too. As mentioned earlier, when I make encounter tables, in addition to the usual creature encounters, I always add in a few that are non-combat. Some of these are just flavor, others are lucky finds, but most are dangerous. Rolling a four on my table was one of the worst rolls I could have made. Here's how quicksand will work in Tale of the Manticore. The first character in the marching order must make a dex save in order to jump back in time or somehow otherwise escape. The second character must also make a save, but because of the moment of warning they would have had, their save will be made with advantage. If either character fails, I will roll a d4. The resulting number shows how quickly they will sink. The three or four means they sink slowly, and can be saved by quickly throwing a rope if the party has one. A one or a two means they go under right away, and are almost certainly lost. In this case, a simple thrown rope will not be enough, though a more radical and risky rescue can be attempted. Let's get to the rolls. Eridine is first. She has a deck score of 14. She'll need to roll this or under on a d20. Here's the roll. 
This is bad. I got a 19. I'll roll for Gyrios, too, before I deal with that. Gyrios has a dex of 13 and rolls at advantage. The first roll. A 7. He sees what is happening and calls out. Harald dashes up, shoving Umura aside, and grabs the cleric by the hand, just in time. Gyrios, take my hand. Gyrios is safe. However, my next roll could spell death for Aradine. A 1 or a 2 on a d4 means she goes down before they can throw her a rope. I rolled a 2. Aradine sinks under the surface of the swamp and is gone. If the party has any bright ideas, now is the time to try them. Harl is busy hauling Gyrios out of the quicksand, so it's up to Umura. One of the benefits of playing a game solo is that you get to take breaks between events. I've had a day to think over what Umura might do. I really racked my brains over it, believe me. I was about to give up when I had an idea. I had to go back to the rulebook to see if it would be allowed. I found the passage I was looking for and saw what I hoped to see. Quote, the caster may carry a normal amount of weight, possibly including another person. End quote. Eridine slipped below the mealy surface, which made a gurgling plop, before smoothing over as if nothing had ever disturbed it. Without hesitation, Umura spoke a few quick words and then dived in after her. There was a heavy splat instead of a splash, and then the sorceress, too, was gone. Gyrios and Harl looked at each other in amazed horror. The ensuing silence weighed a thousand pounds. Then the surface of the quicksand bulged, and Eridan's muck-covered face appeared, with Umura's face right beside it. Both women rose straight up, as if lifted by a platform from below. The pair, with Eridine held tightly in Umura's arms, continued to rise, up and up, until they floated several feet above the bog, with water sluicing from their bodies. Umura's entire form was limed in a soft pinkish glow. The two dripping forms hovered like spirits for a moment before Harl realized what was happening and unshouldered his rope. He formed a loop on one end and threw it over the women. Chapter 41, Part 3, Day 52, Night, Party Status, Harl, 20 of 20 hit points, Kyrios, 27 of 27 hit points. Eridine, 1 of 14 hit points. Umura, 3 of 18 hit points, having been reduced to 1 by the quicksand and then cured by Gyrios of 2 more. Spells available. Umura has memorized Shield, Charm Person, and Knock. Gyrios has prayed for Bless. They had been forced to wait until the women had recovered enough of their strength to be able to move. The first few hours had been the hardest, as the swamp impeded their progress. 
It was as if it had a will of its own. Sometimes Gyrios carried Eridine, and many times the companions were forced to stop. These were nervous rests, knowing that nightfall would bring new dangers, and they were brief. They had to get out of the swamp as soon as possible. Through force of will, they did so, exiting the humid mire as the cloud-veiled sun slipped behind the mountains to the east, taking what little light they had along with it. By then, they had found the path, and things got a little easier. Umora and Eridine needed less help walking, and they managed a few more hours of travel in the dark. They were exhausted by the time they reached the fork in the road to Thangar. Harl announced that they would make a cold camp. It would be too dangerous to light a fire and draw attention to themselves. Eridine and Umora were simply too vulnerable in their present condition. Neither woman seemed to care whether or not they had a fire. They both fell into a deep sleep moments after they laid down. Now, watching them sleep and listening to the soft sounds they made, Gyrios made a mental note to buy proper bedrolls when they returned to the Citadel. We came very close to losing them, he said. Harl was sitting close by, leaning against the marker stone. The white skull painted on it shone with a preternatural glow in the moonlight. It hovered right above his head. I had no idea she could do that, he said, by way of response. She is full of surprises, that's certain, said Gyrios. He was too tired to inject any levity into his voice. Have you noticed her hand? A tattoo, returned Harl, where there wasn't one before, unless I am mistaken. Precisely. She grows stronger every day. Gyrios looked down at Umura's sleeping form. She didn't seem very strong now. In fact, both women looked pathetically weak. Their skin and clothing were covered in grainy muck, and their hair was matted with bog slime. They were safe now, but by Mazagar. He had almost lost them. His heart would have broken in two if that had happened. Harl seemed lost, deep, deep in thought, when Gyrios caught his eye later on. The cleric assumed that the dwarf was thinking similar thoughts to his own, an assumption that turned out to be wrong, although Gyrios could not know that. Harl? Hmm? Harl, I was thinking. Yes? How about a fire? I don't think that would be very wise, Gyrios. As I said earlier, we do not want any unnecessary attention. No, no. That's not what I mean. Harl looked back with a blank expression. He had no idea what the cleric was talking about. I mean, the riddle. I can dance, but I cannot walk. Despite my tongue, I cannot talk. The answer is... A fire. Isn't that right? Behind his bushy black beard, Harl smiled. Quite right, Cleric. Quite right. You have solved it. The answer is indeed a fire. Gyrios nodded. He looked once again at Umura, and then at Aradine, where he allowed his gaze to linger. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider lending your support. There are lots of ways to help. You can recommend the show on forums or retweet episode release announcements or simply tell a friend. Sometimes folks ask me if I plan to start a Patreon for the show. 
that might happen one day, and I certainly appreciate those of you who have already said you'd be willing to join. I think for the foreseeable future, though, for anyone who would like to lend their support, I'll instead ask that you leave a rating or review. Speaking of reviews, I think it's time to start reading them out once again. Here's one from Tomcat. Tomcat writes, Amazing story. The quality is impeccable, and you can see how much work and passion was poured into the making of this podcast. If this story is ever published as a novel, I'll gladly love to read it. Undoubtedly, the story is on par with any other high fantasy novel. Hmm, a novel. That is a cool idea. Maybe one day it could happen. Thanks a million for the review, Tomcat. My thanks also to those whose voices make the story come alive. Playing Massey Smallborough, I'm very pleased to welcome Lena Garcia. Catch Lena on Heinous Investigations, a supernatural comedy podcast. In the role of Corfigan Puttifoot, another newcomer, Michael Roundtree. Thank you for joining the cast, Michael. Finally, returning to the show as Valiador Glimmerax, Benjamin of the always excellent Lawful Great Adventures actual play podcast. Thank you so much to all three of you. This episode contains music that was custom designed for a specific scene. The music that you hear during the first swamp scene was created by Ivan Dutch and is available for anyone to use on his website with lots of other great content. Definitely check out Ivan's stuff at ivandutch.com, that's I-V-A-N-D-U-C-H, for some truly evocative music. For show notes, maps, and for this episode, an updated set of character sheets complete with ability scores, as well as other thoughts, drawings, etc., etc., please visit taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. If you use social media, find me on Instagram at taleofthemanticorepodcast, and on Twitter using the handle at manticoretale. I can also be reached by email at taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. By the way, I'm thinking of doing a bonus episode sometime in the future to answer questions I get through email, so if there's anything you'd like to know, ask away. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Are you looking for a D&D campaign where character and story take a front seat? Where the world is vibrant and filled with life? And casting roles is the D&D campaign for you. Join us, a bunch of theater nerds, as we gather together each week to have some fun and play a game that we are passionate about and want to share with you. You can find us on Twitch at casting underscore roles, and you can catch up with season one on our YouTube channel. So join us, and we can't wait to see you for season two.